Good morning, CCV family. We're so glad that uh, everyone has the opportunity to meet together uh, today on the Lord's Day. And uh, whether you are from Philadelphia or uh, joining us from around the country, whether you're in Montana or Florida, wherever you are, or someplace else around the world, uh, please right now, if everyone could go and just type in on Facebook and YouTube where you're watching from. I just think it'd be great for everybody to see that. Um, I want to I start today uh, by asking this question. Have you ever gotten lost? I'm not talking about driving lost. I'm talking like you're walking somewhere. I remember when I was a kid, I was in a Sears department store, got lost, and I was climbing underneath the clothing racks. And when I popped up, couldn't find my mom. And I just started crying. And uh, I just remember this nice lady uh, grabbed my arm and put her arm around me and said, Honey, it's okay. I'll, I'll be here until we find your mom. And that was just so sweet. I've never forgotten that. But as an adult... The only time I've ever gotten lost is when I was deer hunting uh, with my cousin Craig in Kentucky. Uh, We were in this big wilderness area, uh, wildlife management area. Um, That was just open acres, acres and acres and acres of just open land that people could hunt on. And we hiked back about three or four miles and just stopped and uh, we're waiting for deer. And then it started to get a little dark and then we started looking for our way back. And we got lost and we were in that forest area for like six, seven hours. It was just frightening. I'll never forget it. It reminds me of that uh, line from the first line of Dante's Inferno where it says in the middle of the journey of my life, I found myself astray in a dark wood where the straight road had been wholly lost. I, metaphorically, I just think a lot of people are feeling that way right now. Like just everything has changed. Like work has changed. Um, like I've never been on so many Zoom calls in my life. Uh, have you? I, I just, I, I just, it's just nonstop Zoom calls. And um, have you, have you seen this? <laughs> this is so funny. I love. Here's a woman in Mexico on a Zoom call with her entire team. And I watch what happens. I love that so much. The caption for that on social media was behind every successful woman is an unsuccessful man who isn't wearing pants. And so anyway, I almost did that with while Lisa was on a Zoom call. Myself. It was oh, oh, it's just man. Everything's changing. Church has changed. Like the way we do communion. So at CCV, we take the Lord's Supper every week. And for those of you who are new to church, the Lord's Supper, also called the Eucharist, is a a really cool ritual that Jesus gave us as his followers to celebrate every time we get together on the Lord's Day, which is on Sunday. Um, You take bread and juice and the bread represents his body and the juice represents the blood that he spilled. Right. And so what we've been doing since we've been meeting in our homes or wherever you are right now, uh, we've been just asking people to get whatever represents uh, uh, the bread and the juice for them. And so since I'm on um, online on Sunday morning, 
connecting with you and connecting with other staff members. Um, Lisa uh, has been in charge of getting our elements, what we're going to use to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And the first week she used um, oyster crackers and diet green tea. Have you ever had diet green tea? Like, if you go to hell, they will serve diet green tea in hell. Ugh, it's so gross. Anyway, so I told her, I said, if you ever do this again, I'm going to convert to Hinduism. And sure enough, this past Sunday, uh, when it came to the Lord's Supper, uh, she handed me oyster crackers and diet green tea. And so I would just like to greet you by saying namaste. 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 I just can't do it anymore. No more green tea. I just can't do it. I can't do it. So everything's changing. Uh, church is changing. Business is changing. Everything that's going on in our homes. But you know what? There's a passage of scripture that talks about what followers of Jesus are supposed to do in rapidly changing and challenging times. And I just want to go ahead and read that. Uh, it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. Let's go ahead and let's read that together. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. So this is the Apostle Paul talking about um, his experience with his friends as they're beginning to share the gospel all throughout uh, ancient Turkey and ancient Greece. And in every single city that they're going into, they're, they're getting beaten to the point of death. They're thrown into prison. It's a terrible experience. So he's talking about this treasure is is the the gospel, the message of hope found in Jesus, that we have this treasure in these bodies that are like jars of clay. And at every single turn, when we think we're not going to make it, um, God gets us through that. It says, so for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus's sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. I love that. Death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak in the midst of persecution. But we also know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. So if we end up dying, okay, we end up dying. All of this is for your benefit. He's talking to the, the Christians that are Corinthians. All of his sacrifice that he's going through is benefiting them because they're learning and they're growing. All of this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. So look at this. Here's why I'm sharing this. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Outwardly, we are wasting away, yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And I love this line. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, 
but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You know, the, uh, uh, the week before the whole virus hit, um, and I'm in a major way in our area, I was uh, traveling to um, Indiana to coach a pastor, a good friend of mine. And I was flying into Chicago in the midst of this terrible, blinding snowstorm. I was on a small uh, puddle jumper plane, and, and this thing was shaking back and forth. And I could see outside. I was looking out the window. I was like, there's no way this pilot is going to be able to see. But, man, uh, he put that thing down right on the runway because he wasn't paying attention to the storm. He was paying attention uh, to the instrument panel that was guiding him in there. So I want you to think about that as we talk about this passage, um, because when the Apostle Paul says that we fix our eyes uh, not on what is seen, but what is unseen, he's talking about putting our eyes on Jesus's face, about seeing Jesus's face. And by focusing on Jesus's face, we are able then um, to be able to get through struggles. And so as we do that, they seem light and momentary. Now, I just want to pause and say, and no doubt we have some kids with us. I, I think it's great. Probably some families are gathering together. I would love for the kids that are in the room to grab some crayons and paper. And I want them to draw a picture of Jesus's face. I want to see Jesus's face and I want to see their face right next to Jesus's face. I want you to, I want you to draw what I, what you think Jesus looks like. Okay. And then tag uh, the church on Facebook and Instagram and on social media. And I love seeing these. Please keep doing this. Um, but I want to start by, by asking this legitimate question. How are we supposed to keep our eyes on Jesus when we can't actually see his face? What does that mean? Is this some is this some trite little church saying? Not at all. Um, let me tell you a story. A professor of mine at Princeton Theological Seminary, Dr. James Loader, um, before I had taken any classes with him, he walked around campus and he didn't have a thumb. And I would see him uh, and we're in the library and uh, I would see him in the cafeteria and he's walking around without a thumb. And I'm like, I just want to ask him what happened to his thumb. Right. And so I remember the, the class, the first class I took with him, educational psychology. He stood up and he just made a joke. He said, you're probably asking what happened to my thumb. And he said, I'll tell you what happened to my thumb. We were going on vacation, me and my wife, Arlene, and we were headed to upstate New York. And while we were driving, I saw two ladies on the side of the road. And while they were changing their tire, it looked like they were having trouble. So I pulled over and started to help them. While I was helping them, unbeknownst to any of us, driving down the freeway, 85 miles an hour, was a, uh, a truck driver that had fallen asleep and slowly began to veer over to the side of the road, hit the car that Dr. Loader was working on, through the car on top of his chest, grinding him into the asphalt and then moving him up about 20 yards. So he was gonna die. He said, I'm laying there with this car on top of my chest and I'm just talking to Arlene and I'm like, Arlene, I just want to let you know how much I love you. So he's saying his last words. He's, he knows he's going to die. And then she grabs his hand and they start singing hymns together. And uh, while that is happening, Arlene 
says, this is not happening. And her exact prayer was, in Jesus' name, I ask for you to give me the strength to do that. And Arlene leaned over to the side of the car and picked up the side of the car. Arlene is 110 pounds. Picks up the side of the car. The two ladies pull Dr. Loader out from underneath the car, saving his life. True story. I bring that up because Dr. Loader said while he was underneath that car, he saw Jesus's face. And he explained, he said, um, in the Old Testament, when, when people wanted to describe the presence of God, they used the phrase, Panim Yahweh, the face of God. And so Loder went on to explain that something happens about people when we're having conversations. Um, conversations always move from engaging with a person's literal face to their, air quotes, face, the essence of their personalities. For instance, have you ever been at lunch with someone and you're having a conversation and you notice that you stop paying attention to the actual features of their face and you just continue to have a conversation with them, with their essence. And what Loder says is that when he saw Jesus's face is that he was feeling Jesus's presence the panim Yahweh, the presence of God, the face of God. And so when Paul talks about fixing our eyes on what is not seen, Paul's talking about entering into a state where we have calmed ourselves down and we are experiencing uh, the presence of Jesus, the face of Jesus. And as we do that, these light and momentary troubles um, uh, uh, basically go to the wayside. This is the last time I'll talk to you about my surgery. So about, a, oh gosh, about a month ago I had surgery. And the, when I was in um, the, the unit that you go immediately after surgery, um, where you're pretty hopped up on drugs, the, the nurse that was helping me and giving me medication every 15 minutes, she said, when you woke up, the very first thing you said was, I want to see my wife. And she said, I just thought that was so sweet. You just like, you didn't stop. I want to see my wife. I want to see my wife. I want to see my wife. And it wasn't, yeah, I want to see her face, but I want to be with her. I want to feel her presence. The face was simply uh, the representation of the essence of who she was, that having her in the room with me felt reassuring. And um, so that's why we miss this all the time in the New Testament. There are a couple other scriptures I want to read that talk about the presence of God, the face of God. Hebrews 12, 1 says, we are, since we are surrounded with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And notice, fixing our eyes on Jesus, on his face, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of the God, throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Here's another one, Colossians 3, 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. He's talking about the same thing. For 2,000 years, believers in Jesus, in the midst of difficulty and hardship, while they're going through this, 
they calm themselves down and they focus on the face of Jesus, not on his literal features, but on connecting with the essence of who he is. This is not some mind trick. This is something that we do as disciples of Jesus, that the risen Jesus, the one who lived 2000 years ago, then is risen is at the right hand of the father can be present for us in the midst of our struggles. So let me give you an example of this. This is the last thing I'll say. So first church I ever served was Tilton Christian Church in Tilton, Kentucky. Loved the community, loved the people. Shout out to all my friends there at Tilton and especially to Pauline. Um, while we were at Tilton, uh, the very first day I was there, when I started, uh, they handed me this hymn book and said, okay, here you go. And I'm like, well, what do you mean here I go? They're like, you're going to lead worship. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm not leading worship. I don't sing. And they were like, uh, yeah, it's your job. And I'm like, uh, no, it's not. Uh, I'm here to preach. I can't sing. You know, all these people are going to end up believing. And they're like, too bad. Pauline, remember Pauline? Pauline, uh, Pauline just handed me the book and said, you're singing, go. And so I just stood up. And, uh, you know, I have this hymn book, right? And then I'm, I'm doing the arm motions. I have no idea what I'm doing, and I'm, I'm singing, and it's just terrible. So every single Sunday after that, I would go up to Lisa, because we had Sunday school first, and we had church. And I would ask Lisa, I said, will you, you please lead worship? And she would always say, what's it worth to you? What's it worth to you? And I'm like, I would just start making up stuff that I would give her or do for her. And it was terrible. Like if I was mean the day before, oh, I was leading worship. It didn't matter. She was not leading worship. She was just going to sit there and laugh at me how terrible I was. Anyway, when I was at Tilton, I just grew to love those people. And they were all, uh, by and large, almost all of them farmers. And uh, one summer, um, there was a drought when we were there. And they would always come in and they would talk about like they had a half inch of rain or maybe a quarter inch of rain. And it was hard. It was hard times. And I just remember I'm, um, I'm leading worship from the stage. And at the whole time I'm leading worship, I'm like, this is a joke. I'm terrible. I can't do this. But I remember, um, I remember in the middle of that drought, um, I remember singing a song and instead of paying so much attention to the words, I was paying attention to the people and, and my friends that were there gathered today in the middle of that drought, looking at some of them possibly losing their life savings because the crop wasn't going to come in. I mean, they're just in tears during this song. And it was, it was the hymn, um, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And, and for those of you who, who grew up in church or you probably you've heard you might have heard this before. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. So I'm going to I'm going to sing this. OK. And so uh, it's just the chorus. OK. And you go ahead. You're, but I need you to promise that you're going to sing along with me. OK. So here it goes. Uh, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. And I just want to say, if that doesn't qualify me to be on the worship team, I don't know what does. But, but I just want you to think about that hymn. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace.
things get drowned out. Troubles begin to seem light and momentary. The anxiety that you might feel over finances and work and kids and that sort of thing, then when you just take a moment and you're going to focus on his face, the presence of Jesus, taking some breaths, calming, calming yourself down, and connecting with the risen Jesus makes everything seem light and momentary. Now, um, no doubt there are groups that are discussing this passage. Uh, maybe today after the service is over, uh, maybe uh, you just want to do it as a family or as an individual, you want to think about this. Um, but what I want you to do is actually I want you to screenshot this question. And what I want you to do is I want you to read the passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 through 18. And then I want you to answer this question. When was the last time you focused on Jesus's face and your current struggles began to feel light and momentary? When was the last time you focused on Jesus's face and your current struggles began to feel light and momentary? Friends, let's pray. Jesus, we, we reach out to see your face. And even though we can't actually make out what you would have looked out, looked like, we know just from our own human experience that when we have conversations with people and their face disappears and we begin to have a conversation with the essence of who they are, that we feel this connection. And so, God, we just pray that as your disciples, that the 2,000-year-old Jesus that walked the earth, who is now risen today, who is gathered together with us in this service, in our homes together, we pray as we reach out to touch your face, that you would touch ours back. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.